0: Good morning, everyone, from Christchurch, where we're gathered in the Youth Lounge. And I'm here this morning with Aidan and Andrew, who are doing the techie stuff, and Sarah. Um, My name's Ursula. And first, a couple of notices, because it wouldn't be church without notices, would it? Uh, Firstly, a huge thank you to Aidan and Andrew for all the uh, time they've spent getting together techie stuff getting internet working properly, getting us connected. And secondly, the retreat leaflet for our retreat in daily life will be sent out later this morning. I'd like to start this morning with a prayer, so I'm going to ask Sarah to read the passage from Matthew for us and then to lead us in prayer. Thank you, Sarah. Good morning, everybody. Okay,
1: the reading this morning is Matthew Uh, Chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. who were before you this is the word of the lord thanks. thanks be to god i'm just going to pray before ursula speaks to us father we you know that we're meeting in a very different way this morning along with our brothers and sisters across the country across the uk probably across the world and father we thank you for the technology that enables us to do that And Lord, we we bring this um, act of worship to you now. And even though it's different and we can't see each other, Father, your Holy Spirit will be here to help us, to comfort us, to guide us, to help us know that we are loved by you and that we love one another with your love. So, Father, be with Ursula as she speaks to us. And please bless each and every one of us and help us to move on with you during this time. In Jesus'
0: name, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. I had no idea when we set the passages out for preaching during Lent what the circumstances in which we now find ourselves as a church community would be. And to be honest, as I read the passage over again at the start of this week, Its relevance to our present circumstances as a church, as a country and as a human race are startlingly obvious. And so it was with a heavy heart I started to ponder earlier this week what on earth I was going to say this morning. And how different the words I speak today are from those I imagined I would be saying just a few weeks ago. And yet... The truth contained in this passage speaks the same message to us today as it did 2,000 years ago. It speaks the same message today as it would have done two months ago. It's just that today our circumstances have perhaps made us more aware of just how fragile the things we take for granted are. The title today, again, we decided on it two months ago, is Accompanying Jesus on Mission. And it takes on a particular poignancy, doesn't it? As the image of accompanying Jesus on mission, perhaps, is one of movement, of going out, of action, of meetings, of events, and of all the various activities we've come to associate over the years with the word mission. And yet here we are. Our usual ways of thinking and planning curtailed, our familiar ways of doing church no longer relevant, No meetings, no easy social gatherings. We are inhabiting a new and unfamiliar land. And yet, who we are in Christ has not changed. Who we are as church community has not changed. It's just the outward expression, the way we do church is different. And so, as I read and pondered on our passage this past week, I wondered what is God saying to us as a church and as individuals in these current circumstances. As the Sermon on the Mount is held up before us as a gold standard of what the people of God look like, we are only too aware of the way it illuminates our shortcomings. How far aspects of our society have moved away from the portrait painted by Jesus. Self-interest has infiltrated our psyche, so we no longer discern the distance we have travelled away from God's heart for us. Even a simple commodity such as toilet rolls has the ability to highlight the self centeredness of our culture. And who could not fail to be moved on Friday night's news of the sight of the intensive care nurse in tears as she came away from a gruelling shift in our hospitals To find supermarket shelves empty, as if a plague of locusts had swarmed through. So now, we grapple with coming to terms with the huge shift our daily lives have taken over recent days. As we assimilate new words like self-isolation and social distancing into our vocabularies, we have an opportunity to re-evaluate who we are as individuals and church as a church community, in the light of the gold standard Jesus presents us with in the Sermon on the Mount. Tom Wright said about this passage, speaking somewhat prophetically in 2007, Let me tell you, this world could be different. Actually, it's going to be different. It's going to be turned upside down, or rather, It's going to be turned the right way up. And that process is starting right now. Why don't you get on board and help make it happen? That was and is the challenge of Jesus preaching in the Sermon of the Mount. He could have written that last week, couldn't he? Get on board and make it happen is his challenge to us. But how, in the light of what will probably be months of having to live differently, having to be church in new ways, learning to live with the word self-isolation and social distancing as part of our day-to-day language and behaviour. How do we do church? How do we do mission? How does this passage from Matthew inform our daily lives as individuals and a church? And I should add here that I'm not going to come up with a list of ideas and plans, but instead, briefly start to consider how the Sermon on the Mount might inform our attitudes and values. What does it look like to be a citizen of the Kingdom of God in the light of the Beatitudes? It's interesting, isn't it, that we don't read of Jesus or the early church engaging in evangelistic campaigns. People came because they were drawn by what they saw how the earlier Christians behaved, how they conducted themselves. And although there were, of course, aberrations, the New Testament tells us that the problems of the early church were much the same as those we face today, of greed, of immorality, selfishness, self-serving and self-seeking. These are all well documented, and I think it's a testament to the early writers in their desire for accuracy that they didn't give us a rose tinted portrait of church life friedrich nietzsche the 19th century german philosopher actually he's the 20th century isn't he because he yeah peter's nodding at me he engaged in a lifetime of criticism of christianity he particularly focused on the beatitudes as promoting in his view a slave morality a promoting weakness as a virtue And his writings have done much to influence the view of this passage as encouraging passivity and weakness, the image of powerlessness and lack of influence. And sadly, as Nietzsche's and similar views disseminated through society and even to some extent into the psyche of the church, we have been robbed of the power of these verses. Or, as Tom Wright suggests, They have become some kind of religious wallpaper, a pleasing background noise. He asks, have they become the revenge of the no-hopers? We haven't made it in the present world, so we'll detach ourselves, escape into a private piety, and hope for a better future by and by in the sky. This attitude, of course, robs some of the most powerful reported words of Jesus Of their power. And as an aside, it might be interesting sometime to speculate on what the powers might be that lay behind these attitudes. The importance that Matthew and Jesus himself placed on what he was teaching that day is emphasized in the fact that we are told he sat down. In the ancient world, when a Jewish rabbi was teaching officially, he sat down we still refer today to a professor's chair. And those of you who remember Peter's installation as vicar here will remember he was led and sat down in a chair as part of the ceremonial. Consider the passage from Isaiah 61, which speaks prophetically into the scene Matthew describes. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. As we set these words from the Old Testament alongside those of Jesus, we begin to understand some of the prophetic power of the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes are not words of weakness, as the world might understand them. But words of strength, strength in the power of the gospel, strength in the power of the Holy Spirit to work in and through us, the hope, the certainty of being citizens of the kingdom of God. Of course, we can't and shouldn't deny the the reality of what's happening around us, of the circumstances of our lives which for some are becoming increasingly difficult and uncertain. And in no way are we asked as Christians to live in a bubble of denying reality. But is there something here in this passage that we can take to bring hope to those we are still connected with? Hope is such an important word. In worldly terms, I suspect that many of our world leaders are clinging on hoping that somehow the measures they're taking will bring relief to their population, but without the certainty of really knowing what the future holds. Our medics are hoping that they have the skills and knowledge to bring healing to those who become seriously ill. We are all hoping that someday we might be able to live again without being under the shadow of coronavirus. But our hope, as Christians, is not a worldly emotion, a worldly hope. It is a certainty that we can trust in our Heavenly Father. I'm not going to take each of the Beatitudes in turn, you'll be relieved to hear, or we'll be here, would be here most of the morning. But I'm just going to look briefly through their themes today. You might like to explore them in greater depth later. But firstly the word blessing. The blessing that belongs to us as Christians, says William Barclay, is not p- postponed to some future glory, but is the state we exist in here and now. It is a natural consequence of being citizens of God's kingdom. And, suggest many theologians, the beatitudes are a description of the characteristic qualities of the inhabitants. Of his kingdom. Tom Wright, discussing the word in the context of the Beatitudes, suggests that blessing is not primarily about what God promises to do to someone, it is what God is going to do through someone. That in seeking to live out the characteristics Jesus gave such weight to as he preached the Sermon on the Mount, as We allow the Holy Spirit to form us, as Paul tells us in Romans 12, verse 2, which says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, we are not only blessed, but are called to be a blessing. The Amplified Bible makes the characteristics of the Beatitudes clearer in its expanded text. And what I'd like to do now is read slowly through Matthew 3-10 to from the Amplified Bible so we can reflect on the deeper meaning that that version expands. So, verse 3. Blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy, to be admired. Are the poor in spirit, those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God's grace, are those who mourn over their sins and repent. For they will be comforted when the burden of sin is lifted. Blessed, inwardly peaceful, spiritually secure, worthy of respect, are the gentle, the kind-hearted, the sweet-spirited, the self-controlled. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed, joyful, nourished by God's goodness, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who actively seek right standing with God, for they will be completely satisfied. Blessed, content, and sheltered by God's promises are the merciful. For they will receive mercy. Blessed. Anticipating God's presence, spiritually mature, are the pure in heart. Those with integrity. Those with moral courage. Those with godly character. For they will see God. Blessed. Spiritually calm with life joy in God's favour are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they will express his character and be called the sons of God. And verse 10, blessed, comforted by inner peace and God's love, are those who are persecuted for doing what is morally right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven both now and for ever. These are not words that describe weak people, are they? They speak of a people strong and grounded, grounded in their faith. And I would suggest that it is as we are formed and shaped by the Holy Spirit, as the qualities of his kingdom are evidenced in our lives, we will see the prophetic fruit of our formation in mission. In the same way refugees will cross any number of borders and barriers to reach their goal, so will those whom God is calling to be citizens of his kingdom, to be drawn to faith in him. As we as a church live out the Beatitudes. But a challenge and a warning to us here. No refugee is going to risk everything to become a citizen of a new kingdom, to relinquish their citizen of a worldliness, to become a citizen of a country where its citizens are half-hearted, one foot in, one foot out, trying to live in both camps. And that is a challenge for us today. In closing, I'd just like to make mention of today. Mother's Day. For me, one of the many fascinating things about Bible study is that we discover deeper and hidden depths of meaning as we explore passages in greater detail or meditate on what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us through the text. And we have maybe done just a little of that today, just now. But today is Mother's Day And for many of us, plans to celebrate together as families and for all of us as church have had to be cancelled. Let's look at the bald text for a moment. The second beatitude says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so we mourn. We mourn the plans we may have had. Plans for the future certainly plans that we had over the next 12 weeks. The next few months may be very different to those we imagined or planned. And it's only natural to mourn loss. But we are, by and large, a resilient and creative people. And my prayer is that many of us will have found ways to celebrate today in a different way. But for those who haven't, for those who are struggling to find a way forward in this time of change, please get in touch through the prayer line or talk to a home group leader or friends. Phone someone. We all need to be involved in caring for each other and for our neighbours within the constraints that we are living under. During this time. But for now. Let's draw this time together to close with a prayer. And I would like us to say the Lord's Prayer together. Wherever we might be listening. So. As our Saviour taught us. So we pray. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And before we close this internet connection, I'm just going to ask Peter if he would like to say a blessing for us. Just give us a minute while we change places. (laughs) A blessing over us all as we finish this internet connection. May the Father from whom every family in earth and heaven receives its name strengthen you with his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you now and always. Amen.